Amen. It is great to be in the house of the Lord. Oh, yeah. It's a, probably my favorite place to be. We come all the time, right? We love being together. Right. But uh, tonight I'm just super thankful to have so much of our family here. And uh, I know for you guys, when family comes to visit, it thrills your heart when they come and join with you in worship and hearing the word. So I just appreciate them being here. I'm so glad that they're here. You probably didn't know this, but there are three generations of Rodney's here tonight. There's three generations of Leonard's here tonight. <laughs> didn't know Van's name is Leonard, so I just thought that was kind of cool. And I'm really proud of our of our family. They want to come and hear the word of the Lord. So I will try not to disappoint them, but uh, it's really about the Lord, not me anyway. Amen? Amen. I have a concept I want to share tonight that <laughs> it's something that's been encouraging me. And so this is a little different of a message that I'm going to speak to you. It's, it's more of an encouragement that I've gone through. Not, not the longest study that I've ever done. Not the deepest study that I've ever done. But I want to talk about the anchor of my faith. And the anchor, really, of our faith. Yeah. Before I dive in, let's just pray. And I want to get right into preaching. Lord, we just thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, all we can do is come and give you thanks. You said to enter your presence, we would come in thanksgiving. And in praise. And Lord, we've done that tonight. We've praised your name. And, and God, I want to thank you again for allowing us to be here. All the blessings you've given us, God. The provision. Yes. Making a way for us to be here in Oklahoma and still together. Yes. And drawing together, God, yes. as the ecclesia. Not that there's a building, but that those called out. Lord, we're just one group of those called out. Meeting together to worship you. And God, we ask you tonight for your your favor in preaching this word. God, open hearts and open ears to the listener. And help me, God, to bring a word that's directly from you, from your spirit, God. Speak to our congregation. Yes. And move in us tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I want to read this prayer, a couple verses, from Hannah. How do you remember Hannah in the Old Testament? Hannah does. <laughs> My Hannah's like, did you name me after her? Your mom and I weren't quite that holy when we named you. We were just picking H words that sounded good. But it lines up with the scripture. This particular setting with Hannah, she has she was barren in the womb. Hannah uh, was not able to bear children. And in her family, she was given a lot of grief for this. She had cried out to the Lord in her affliction. She had said, God, see me in my affliction. I, I can't bear children. And there were those in her own house who were mean about this to her. She was criticized for this. Uh -huh. And she makes kind of a, a plea with God. And one of the years that they came to the temple to, to worship, she had prayed, God, just give me a son. I will give him to you. I'll bring him back to you. And so God blesses her, opens her womb. And she has this child, Samuel. And Samuel, she brings him back to the Lord after she's weaned him. And so somewhere between maybe three and five years old at that time, she's going to bring Samuel back and give him to the priests to be raised by them. And this is the prayer she prays right after she gives up her son. I find it interesting, and I wanted to preface this, because oftentimes we will make a deal with God and not follow through. Mm-hmm. Come on, how many of you have been at some point and said, God, if you'll just give me this, now, I will serve you forever. God, if you just bless me here, I'll give you. Lord, if I win the lottery, all am I going to give? Yeah. We make these deals with God, and, and especially when we're young, we'll make these deals and then not follow through. Hannah not only follows through, she follows through with the right heart. The right, how hard is that to do? 
Come on, you moms out there. You have to give your child back at five years old. Are you happy about that? Uh, verse 1, Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. There is none besides you and there is no rock like our God. Oh, yeah. Hannah's going to bring her son that she knew God gave her and get to return him back to God for a purposed work. Now Samuel is a mighty prophet in God. He's going to anoint King David. He is going to prophesy. Samuel's a mighty prophet for the Lord. And Hannah gets to be a part of this. And she recognizes God and she says, there is no rock. Like our God. Oh, Isaiah 26.4. Isaiah says trust in the Lord forever. You can trust in the Lord. How long can you trust Him for? Forever. forever. Pastor preached this morning. He said that the word of God is true. He said let every man be a liar. But let the word of God be true. Oh, yeah. So you can trust in the Lord forever. Yes. Now, there are certain scientific facts and things we know to be true, but there's a whole lot of science out there that changes its truth. There's a lot of facts out there in the science world that you can't rely on. There's a lot of scientists and there's a lot of intelligent people out there who make claims of faith, have nothing to do with God, have to do with their own beliefs, but you can't trust them. There's a lot of politicians that you can't trust. There's a lot of governments that you cannot trust. But in God, you trust Him forever. No matter what circumstances going around. And Isaiah says, why? For in God the Lord is everlasting. Now the King James says strength. But he uses the same word that Hannah just used. Because God is a rock. Oh yeah. yeah. The rock is a symbol of unmovable strength. It doesn't move. It's not shakable. How many of you remember when Jesus told the parable of the wise man and the foolish man and how they built their houses? Remember, the, the wise man built his house on rock. rock. The position of strength. And the only position of strength you can trust in that is unmovable, that is unshakable, is the Lord. There is no other position of truth in this world that you can anchor to like God. Right. Hannah said there is no God like our God. There is no rock like him. First Peter 2, 6. He's going to quote from Isaiah 28. Peter's going to say this. It is said in Scripture, contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Let me just stop there. Believing in Jesus Christ is not shameful. You will never be ashamed if you truly believe and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't go wrong in the Lord. There is no being put to shame for the one who believes in Christ. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, the primary stone to build upon, it's Jesus. It's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and they stumble who are disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. 
You see, the Jews were entrusted with the word, the law of God. They brought the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And into that very chief cornerstone, the very thing that they were bringing together, and they were part of God's kingdom, bringing Christ, they rejected. This very thing that they were appointed to protect and bring forward became a rock of stumbling to them and a stone of offense. May I petition for you that the United States of America, that Jesus Christ has become a rock of stumbling and a stone of offense. Our country is founded on some principles. And most of them are founded on biblical principles and most of them go deeper into Jesus Christ. There is an offense now in our country to the name of Jesus. You can say God. You can say God. It's okay to have faith as long as your God encompasses every other God that's out there. You're good. Mm-hmm. It's called universalism, and it's another lie. It sounds good. It's, it's, it's tolerant. It's this love thing that everybody's equal. Every opinion's the same, and every God leads to the same, every road leads to the same God, but that's just not true. That's right. Hannah said, there is no other like our God. Isaiah said, you can only trust in the Lord, singular, one God. You can only trust in one. Everything else is a lie. And Peter's going to say, there's a chief cornerstone that you have got to build. If you don't anchor to this cornerstone, you are going to miss it. It will be offensive to you. It will be a stone of stumbling to your faith if you miss the chief cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. The anchor of our faith anchors into Christ. I was looking at some ancient church history stuff. I was trying to do a dustin free tonight, and just I'm not good at it. I just not good at it. I had some pictures of different things, and I thought, I'm going to leave this to Dustin and Pastor. That's their wheelhouse. But I found these symbols and carvings of anchors in some of the more ancient Christian catacombs and tombs. Now, a lot of this stuff is Catholic in nature. And the problem with Catholicism is it's mostly idolatry. Right. You see, the Catholics in, in that 300 AD range, they begin to, to bring forth this compromise of Roman gods in the Christian faith. And so you end up with a lot of symbolism and idolatry in the Catholic faith. But this symbol I came across, a lot of it was this anchor and the cross kind of combined. It was like the cross and an anchor comes down, and they were putting that up because they felt like the cross was an anchor point in faith. Now, I think it's an okay analogy. I like the analogy. I don't like the idol. I don't think we take images and and we create images to live by, but rather we might have an analogy. We might have something we look at and say, yes, that's a picture of my faith, but my faith is in Jesus. So I want to talk to you about this anchor idea tonight. I don't want it to be an image. It's not just something that we paint a painting of or carve into the side of a catacomb. The anchor is used in boats all over the world. Anybody ever seen one? Mm-hmm. Anybody have a boat that has an anchor to it? Okay, some of you are nodding. All of us are like, what's a boat? <laughs> I didn't realize it got so deep on you tonight. <laughs> Boats have anchors. The anchor has got a couple functions. Uh, the first one is to make it so when you get off the boat at the dock, you can drop anchor, you can tie up, and the boat doesn't leave you, so you get back on it. Because if you don't tie it down or you don't anchor it, it just floats away. How, how good would that be? Yeah. Put this really expensive vessel out of the water and you can't get to it. you got to swim to it. That'd be fun. Another thing it does is that during a storm, 
as a boat's tossed to and fro, and as it's thrown off track, anchors can be used to help stabilize the vessel. That's right. And oftentimes back in, in that day, that's all they had. And so when a storm would arise, they would, they would use anchors in order to try to keep the boat as stable as they could and try to protect it from that storm that's tossing it to and fro. Some of us need to drop anchor every now and then in our life. Some of you get that. See, there are things going on in our world, in our life, that are tossing us to and fro. They're, they're, they're rolling us in life. They're drifting us off the path. They're, they're attacking our spirit. It's, it's a hard thing to do, but you've got to drop anchor. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. How many remember the story when Jesus was on the boat and the storm arose? And remember he was in the bottom of the boat sleeping? Mm-hmm. The storm rises up and, and the disciples are doing everything they can to, to keep that boat from perishing. And they finally wake up Jesus and they're like, we are going to die. We're perishing. And you're sleeping. And the Lord gets up and remember he speaks to the storm. He says, peace, be still. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no anchor in your life like the one who is Jesus Christ. Amen. One word in your life, he can call every storm. He can stop the sea in its place. But he is on the vessel. And if he is there, if he is in your heart, in your life, don't forget he's riding with you. I've done this. The reason I'm sharing this with you is because you get going. And you get doing. And you get busy. And the storm comes. And you think the Lord's just sleeping. The truth is, you haven't paid much attention to him. The truth is, he's sleeping because you haven't really been talking to him. He's sleeping because you haven't really spent a lot of time with him. He's sleeping because you left him at the bottom of the boat and you forgot. You're up fishing, you're up moving, you're going, you're doing. And yet, sure, he's back there somewhere, but you just kind of forget. Now, I think in those moments, we need to drop anchor. We go down and we need to get with the Lord. So I think... That as these anchors are used to slow us down, I really do believe the cross is one such anchor point in the Christ. For me, it was the turning point of my life. And I believe for every Christian, we all come to the cross as the beginnings of our faith. How many would agree with that and just say amen? amen? It's an inflection point, as Pastor would say. Jesus is like an oil rig anchor, though. Oil rigs are permanently anchored. They're not going anywhere. They're so anchored in, you can't move them out of the way. But the cross is this apex of creation. It's this point in the world that everybody has to recognize. That Jesus is the prototype of creation. The firstborn of all creation. So to give you that, a Greek word pastor mentioned this morning, the prototokon or the prototokos. It means the prototype. The primary, the first. He is the one that creation's all about. It's not about you. Look at the person next to you and say, it's not about you. We've got to remind ourselves that sometimes. It's not about us. It's not about how happy I am. It's not about if I get everything I want. It's just not about me. It's about him. He's the prototype of creation. And we've got to get out of this mindset that America's given us is that you're created for your happiness. And somehow God exists to make you happy. Somehow God exists to provide for you. That somehow God exists to make sure your life is all warm and fuzzy and provided for. And that is another lie. Does it mean God doesn't want to bless you? No, it doesn't mean God pours out blessings daily. Right. 
You will never be able to outgive God. And there are blessings like you wouldn't believe in the kingdom of God from him. But that's not the purpose. So the creation of this world was about Jesus. And the point in time that all this comes together, the fall of man, the sin that enters the world, we're going to have this cross. Go to Luke chapter 23. When Adam and Eve had sinned, they brought forth death into the world. The law of sin and death. Ever heard that term? Uh -huh. The law of sin and death. Yes. Thanks to Adam and Eve, we get sin. And sin, as Pastor mentioned this morning, is a powerful taskmaster. The type of Egypt, the slave driver. Sin is a slave driver and it will kill you. So to deal with it, we're going to get to this point in Luke 23 that the Lord Himself, God Himself will take on flesh, dwell among us, and go to this point and reckon with sin and the law of sin and death. Luke 23, verse 44. It was about the, the sixth hour of the day. That's noon. That's noon for all of you who don't speak Jewish hours of the day, like me. There was darkness over all of the earth until the ninth hour. Three hours of an eclipse. Here is the day of the crucifixion. There is a beacon happening here. There is something going on spiritually and physically that you will never be able to deny happening. In this process of an eclipse, it's taking place during the Passover in Jerusalem. Over one million people most likely are here. In Rome, they're part of the Roman civilization. They are ran by Rome. Rome is the power government of the world at this time. They're the center hub of all information, of all civilization, power, authority, you name it. It's centered in Rome. And the religious center of the world is Jerusalem. Is God hiding this thing? No. no. This is on display. The cross is on display now. The Lord on the cross is on display. And to stamp it, there's an eclipse. Undeniable fact. Three hours of darkness over the land. Well, that's weird. The sun is darkened. Verse 46, uh, verse 45. And the veil of the temple is torn in two. I don't have time to go on the veil study. Pastor's done this in the past. The veil is huge. It's many feet deep, many feet wide, many feet tall. It takes multiple, many men and strength to move this veil. It's not cuttable. You can't destroy the veil. You can maybe burn down the temple as, as Titus would do at some point. Maybe you could burn. You cannot cut this thing in two. And what happens to it on the, when Christ is on the cross? It is split down the middle. It's a sign to the Jew that this thing is over. That the Holy of Holies is opened up and there's only one great high priest going forward. His name is Jesus. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else to turn to. There is nothing hidden in religion any longer. It is Jesus and Him alone. And so we have this eclipse. We have the veil tearing miraculously a signal to the Jews this thing is over and Jesus cries out with a loud voice and he says 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Mm -hmm. Even the pagan Romans are looking now and saying everything going on. There's something about this situation that I'm witnessing. This is a righteous man. Not a term you use for a criminal on a cross. Go to Matthew chapter 27. I want to look at account number two. When you read the gospel, young people, there's four of them. I love to read the accounts from multiple eyewitnesses. If you take any investigation worth its salt, they have interviewed and looked at multiple eyewitnesses. They've looked at all of the evidence they could see. And the reason why is because every eyewitness has seen the same truth, but from a little different angle. It's the same truth, but there's some details that they're going to see. And so we have Luke's account. Luke has interviewed multiple eyewitnesses for his gospel. And Matthew is one of the disciples. Verse 45, don't go there, we'll start in verse 50. He mentions the eclipse. He says at the sixth to the ninth hour, there's an eclipse. Skip to verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. He doesn't point out what the Lord said here. He doesn't give that the words. We have that account in Luke. But Matthew says, look, he cried out with a loud voice. He yielded up his spirit. And then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. From the top to the bottom and the earth quaked. And the rocks split. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. Um, that's crazy. That's why I don't like to read very much, because I don't really understand that. But the fact is there were earthquakes, eclipses. There was things happening fantastically that got the attention of a whole lot of people. Right. God is pointing something out for all of creation. Past, present, future. Yeah. You see, we can't look back at that time and deny something miraculous happened. Every time scientists and archaeologists and all these scholars and all these great religious uh, professors look back, there's certain points they can't deny. There were things that went on that stamped the cross, that showed it to be a beacon, a point, an apex point, a spot in time that you've got to deal with. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying this, truly, this was the Son of God. Amen. I'm just going to stop here for a second and tell you this. Miracles certainly will stop you in your tracks. Great, amazing things will certainly cause you to look. will certainly get you to recognize something big is happening. They don't say it. Pastor Skip had talked about many times. We just heard another miracle tonight. That's so amazing. He's talked about a lot of miracles that happened. And one day he told me, he said, Chris, we don't see a lot of these miracles in America that I see in Guatemala, that I see in the, with the Chamula Indians. He said, when, when these people have miracles, it's all about Jesus. 
And, and they go back to their home and, and, and their neighborhoods and the blocks they live on and they share Jesus. And, and people come to the Lord. In America, men want the glory. That's it. Amen. He said in America, a lot of the miracles that are going on are just signs and wonders and men want to take the glory. Right. And a lot of times you might see or witness a miracle. We might have something happen. But if it doesn't point us to Jesus, it's just something fantastical that went on. Right. There were people that witnessed this day. Jews, Romans. There were people that saw the day and went, I will not follow this Christ. Though I saw and felt the earthquake. Though I saw the veil torn in two. Though I saw the man cry out and say, I yield my spirit to God. Though I saw the eclipse. Recordings are undisputed, unimproved to The New Testament church is going to go and begin to preach the gospel. They're going to, to share the faith of what happened. And because there were so many eyewitnesses to all these events, they were indisputable. What was disputable was the physical resurrection of the Lord. Because that was done in secret. Nobody witnessed him walk out of the tomb that morning. Just the two angels. You remember Mary shows up. The, 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 the stones rolled away. He's already gone. The centurions, the guards are asleep. This wasn't done in front of mil, a billion people. They could twist this. They could lie. Jesus would show himself to 500 believers at one time. He would show himself to the disciples. Physical, resurrected Christ. But this was done so you would take it on faith. This is done. Because if you're going to come to the cross of Christ, you're going to start your faith there. Yeah. But you're going to move into a relationship with a risen Savior that you're going to have to believe in. That's right. Amen. You're going to have to put your whole heart, your whole faith, your whole trust into the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to get to know Him on your own. And you come to the church and we worship Him. And we're together in this thing. And we all have testimonies of what God has done. But you have got to get to know this Lord yourself. That's right. And the cross is an anchor point. Man, you come to the cross and you see the Lord there. And he is bloody and He is done. But every one of us as Christians has got to come there and see it. You have to be in that place where you know my sin put him there. My sin put him there. The Lord died because I was a sinner, because I was going to die in my sin. And I've got to come to the foot of that cross. I've got to see my Lord. I have to recognize him for who he is. And then I have to get up and take my cross follow Him. But the cross remains as a foundation for me. I don't leave it and go away from it, but I leave it in the sense of building from it. The cross is something that we're going to be asked by the Lord Himself to remember in communion. The Lord's going to say as often as you do something, do this, that broken body, that blood poured out. We're going to go back as often as we do. And we're going to remember this point of when Christ died for me. And when I talk about His love, and I share the love of who He is with others, 
I don't talk about an all-encompassing God who accepts every sin and tolerates every problem. I talk about the God who died on the cross for your sin. That's it. Amen. In Romans, he says, while we were sinners, Christ died. If I don't share that love, I've shared the wrong love. If I don't take that gospel of love to the people in my life and those around me, I don't share that love. I don't know the risen Savior. The cross is an anchor point that I have got to build on. It is a foundation. And I can't ever act like it was something that I just cast aside one day. There are churches that bring you up to the front, tell you to repeat a prayer, and you're saved. But you didn't get to the cross. There are rock concerts. At the last three minutes of a rock concert, they, they ask you to raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus and, and repeat this prayer and you, and you have the forgiveness of the Lord. But they, they never got to the foot of the cross. They never met the Savior. Right. And there are those that get to the cross and, and they do see Him and they, they feel His presence and they recognize what God has done. But they get up and they walk away. They, they might say their prayer. They might thank the Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. About the best thing they'll do is they'll take a souvenir. They'll put a cross around their neck, a cross in their ear. Maybe they'll get a tattoo of a cross on their arm. Maybe they put a scripture on their body, but they walk away with a souvenir and nothing else. Yeah. I'm not telling you you're wrong to wear a necklace with a cross on it. My daughters have some. I'm telling you that if we reduce it to a symbol, we reduce it down to a souvenir that we got at the hill of Calvary someday and it went on with our life, we don't have the Lord. Amen. And He is the rock that you need to build on. Yes. He's the chief cornerstone. And if He's not the anchor of your faith, if you don't anchor down in, you will live your life apart from Him. You won't be anchored. When your ship is sailing on the ocean or sailing in the seas of life and the storm comes, you have no way to stay on track. You have no way to anchor down. You have no one on the boat that can stop the storm. Right. Amen. You have no one to wake up. You have no one to go to unless you build on the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ. As many as come to the Lord, they come in pain, humility. They come with maybe reverence to God. They have a chance to receive this Jesus with a full open heart. But if you come to the Lord just to see a spectacle, to come to his house just to see a concert, a miracle, a sign. If you get all dressed up and get everything out right on the outside like the Jew. And you come to the cross to see an innocent man punished. So that somehow you can go free. You didn't get him. You're not going to get him. You don't have it. Right. The veil is torn. There is no amount of religion that's going to get you saved. Right. You cannot earn this thing by how you look. How you act, you think you are outside of Christ. You can't get it because the veil is torn, and you're going to have to enter into the Holy of Holies yourself. Yeah, you've got to find the great High Priest yourself. And if you're going to find him, you're going to have to meet him first at the cross. Maybe. You have to lay down everything that you've done, everything you've been. Everything that your identity used to tell you that you were. Every part has got to get laid down. And all the identity you pick up is Him. All of Christ. Now you go about your life yes, as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
There is such a need to realize that the Lord has not stayed on the cross. He's resurrected. It's a starting point, but it's not where he's currently at. We celebrated July 4th a few weeks ago, and I had a great time. Thank you all who came. Thank you everybody who cleaned up. It was amazing. I was thinking about our country. We have some anchor points. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence, some anchor points, and the Holy Bible. These are anchor points to our nation. Yeah. As liberals on the left and people who are faithless, even some faithless people on the right, want to erode and take God out of our country, take God out of our daily lives. They are eroding a foundation that this country is built on. Whether you agree with every policy that's ever been written or not, the fact is that we have some anchor points in this country. Mm -hmm. What kind of chaos is out there today? How's it look out there to you? Are the results good? No. There's nothing but division. There's nothing but a crumbling foundation. It's just like a lot of these Oklahoma foundations and these houses we go into. It's crumbling. It's moving. It's shifting. It's not a good thing. You can't build on it. All you can do is destroy it. A foundation that's crumbling is coming down. It's bringing the building down. That's right. When you build a foundation, as our pastor and Pastor Rodney, our contractors, then the foundation, if it's solid, you build upon it, you never leave that foundation off of your life. The walls go up on top of it. The roof goes up on top of that. Then you decorate the inside, the outside. You want to clean it up. You want to do some things. It all comes after the foundation is built. There's a lot of things in the United States need to fix. There are a lot of problems in our country, no doubt. But the foundation was right. The foundation is the greatest government ever put on this world. And it's not perfect. The only perfect government is who? <laughs> but it was a great foundation. And it allowed for such changes to happen. Slavery was a, was a black eye in this country, and because of the foundation, and because of the way our country was set up, eventually it was able to be changed. Women's rights changed. Things changed. To a degree. Now let me tell you something about where we're at now. We've changed so much, we've gone the other way past the point, and we're starting to want to change the foundation. All that can happen is the results you're seeing now. Finally, our government overturned Roe v. Wade. Amen. And there are Christians who say, this is a horrible thing. If slavery was bad, aren't we happy that got changed? Why are we not celebrating as a country that we're saving the lives of babies? Right. Because the foundation's eroded. There's nothing but division. And a divided house cannot stand. I'm telling you this. Because you only have one foundation to cling to, and it's not the United States of America. You live in a great country, a lot of freedom. Congratulations, you were born here with privilege. Congratulations, you won the birthing lottery. You made it to America. And you better not anchor to this. Your anchor, your foundation has got to be the chief cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only foundation you can build on that will not crumble. In Hebrews chapter 6, the scripture says that we have this hope, an anchor for our soul. In talking about Abraham and the promise to come, the author of Hebrews says we have this anchor. 
for our soul. It's the promised Christ to come. It's where we need to be rooted, grounded in. It's the place as Christians we've all got to meet. The outside of our houses might be a little different, but every foundation better be the same. Every foundation better be the same. We all have looked up spiritually to our Lord at that place on the cross. But has everybody picked up their cross and followed him? This is no light thing that our creator took our place of sin and death on that cross. Our creator literally took our sin and death for us to resurrect with new life. And to promise every one of us to resurrect with him should we follow after him. So I can get up from this anchor point from a position of grace, a position of mercy, a position of true love, humility, reverence. My own love for him now will propel me forward. And if I don't arrive at the cross in that state, I don't get up from the cross in that state, and I don't follow him because I love him, then I will not continue on the path. That's right. And I will not make it into glory. That's right. Look, it doesn't matter what sin you carried up the hill of Calvary. It doesn't matter what sins you have. It really doesn't. You take all of your old life. Every bit of it goes to that cross because that's what Jesus died for. Oh, yes. Amen. Not part of it. Not just, okay, some of you had some worse sin than others. Some of you didn't have too much. I died for those of you that didn't sin too bad. Nope. He died for all sin, for all time. And he literally has overcome death so you could live. Why would you hold on to any of that old stuff? Why would you get to the cross and say, I'm just going to turn around and go back down the hill and, and take those souvenirs with me. I'm just going to say a prayer and hope for the best. Why do that when you can live for him? Anchored into your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. The anchor holds. What a great song. The anchor holds. Go to Psalms 119. We're almost done. Psalms 119, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law. Indeed, I will observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away from my eyes looking at worthless things and revise me in your way. This is the heart of someone who is pursuing God. The prophet here, David is going to speak out, he's going to speak into our life a, a way to follow, a way to live for the Lord. Now if you're wondering, how do I get up from that place? How do I say, God, forgive me, fill me with your spirit, Lord. I want to love you back. It's pretty simple. You tell the Lord, teach me. I want to keep it to the end. God, you teach me. Give me a church that teaches. Give me some brothers and sisters that know. And God, speak into my life. Give me understanding and I will keep your law. If you don't understand, ask God. What's the scripture say in the New Testament? If you lack understanding, ask. He will give it to you. 
Help me walk in the past. I want to hear your testimonies, God. I don't want to be covetous. I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be lustful in my life. What I'd rather be is have a heart to hear your testimonies. Yeah. And stop looking at worthless things. I'm going to tell you greed and money and lustful things and all that stuff, it's all worthless. It's all vanity. It's all worthlessness. As I retain my anchor in the Lord, I am attached to the foundation of who He is and what He's already done. I'm not looking for another miracle somewhere down the road. I need to make sure I'm anchored to what He did. Yes. The big deal. Around 33 AD or whatever date it was, that's when the world stopped and God stamped it for the whole world to see. It is impossible to deny something miraculous happened there. Amen. We know it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know He resurrected. And we know we need to attach to Him. Finally, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Our last scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. This is Paul. Wise master builder. I have laid the foundation. Another builds on it. Let each one take heed how he builds. Come on, look to somebody and say, take heed how you build. That's a warning from Paul. Be careful how you build. This matters. This is a big deal. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. If you're concerned about that, you got the wrong foundation. If you're built on the Lord Jesus Christ, it is absolutely going to withstand. It holds. And Paul says he's a wise master builder. Why is he so wise? Because he knows what the cornerstone is. That's the wisdom. If you want wisdom in your homes, some of you young brothers and sisters building your homes, build on Jesus. Don't build on money. Don't build on your provision. Yes. Don't build your family on the fact that you can go to work and make a living. Build on the fact that you have Jesus Christ as your foundation. Amen. Don't build on some family heritage. Don't build on something that is, is just in this world. Your house, your yard, your farm, your, your, your lineage, whatever that, don't build on it. Because none of it holds up. Build your family on the foundation of the Lord. Paul said, this is what you build. The wise master builder knows exactly where to start and what everything is to be laid on top of. You will not go wrong building on Jesus. And Paul uses an interesting word here. You are God's building too. As you're anchored to that stone, you're a stone yourself. 
You're an immovable rock, not because you're so great, but because you found on who to build in. You found where to lay anchor and where to move your life from. It's building upon Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus, with Him, for Him. You get, you name the adjective, we'll put it in there, you're going to do everything through the Lord. Amen. And when you build this way, young men, young women, and your family and your children have something to build on. As the apostles and their teaching are foundational because they're anchored to Christ, we can take their word and get anchored down into Christ as well. And our roots run deep through the word of God, through our prayer, through our relationship with Jesus as we get deeper. But if you're going to be built, it's going to have to be because you're built on the Lord. Just being a good man or a good woman is not enough. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Hannah prayed that the rock still stands. Peter quoted Isaiah that it's laid down. The rock is in the holy city of Zion. It's not moving. It's everlasting, he said. Drop anchor. Stop your life from drifting. Don't let your life just drift away. Don't let the fate have control over your life or whatever it is you might think is out there. Drop anchor. Stay close to the Lord. Absolutely build. Of the rock of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless Amen. you tonight. Awesome. Thank you, Brother Chris. God bless you. Thank you for that good encouragement to build on that, hold our anchor in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I mean, that's what we're about. Church is not about anything but that. He is our rock of our salvation. Amen?